Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I am so excited. Uh, there's a, a, a reason. I don't know if you realize this, but uh, this is our 100th episode. And uh, I'm uh, especially excited about making it to 100 episodes. But today, really, the, the, the big news is that we've got Norm Judah back. And Norm and I are going to talk about IoT, uh, the future of tech, all sorts of cool stuff. So stay tuned. Um, I'm going to eat my giant watermelon slice. Hey guys, as I mentioned uh, just a few seconds ago, this is our 100th episode, and I am honored to bring back for the third time, for the third yep. consecutive year, Norm Judah. Hey, Norm. Hey, uh, great to be here, and congratulations on number 100. I mean, that's actually pretty stellar to do that over four years, is it? I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun for us to do, and, uh, you know, I'm just glad that we can do something that people get something out of. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the main thing here. No, I think, I mean, from my perspective, I love this notion of actually talking about the things that are happening today and then a little bit of a lookout to kind of see what might be coming. And it's always interesting to go back and see what we said a couple of years ago and what's really happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember when we started, we were talking about instrumented socks and park benches. <laughs> that's exactly and it. We're, we're, we're almost there, I think. I think we are. There's, there's actually a guy, a friend of mine who used to work at Microsoft, who's got this company now that where you can buy a Bluetooth sock. Um, and it started off as socks. They now do shirts. But what if they've actually transposed that into real interesting sports? So if you're a bicycle rider, for example, you can get a pressure profile of your foot on the pedal. And you can actually see that depending on where you are in that rotational cycle, when you switch from your left foot to your right foot, there's five degrees where you actually have no pressure on your sock or on the pedal. And if you just put that five, imagine 5% 5 performance as a bicycle rider, what that would do. So the applications yeah. are actually real. They're not just, oh, I've got a little Bluetooth sock and I can actually see some stuff. They're very real on changing performance, even, even changing fitness. So I was talking to the other day and they've been doing some work with a ski boot company. Now, you remember the first time you tried ski boots on? And you tighten it and somebody says, does your foot hurt? Yes, of course my foot hurts. Where does it hurt? And you sort of point to somewhere. Now, because the sock has pressure pads in it, they can actually just look at the screen and see a profile, a heat map of your foot. They didn't have to ask you. They can tell you your little toe is too tight. And so the applications both are sort of for excellence, but also just for things like comfort in this case. So it really is going to change dramatically, I think, about the way we go. Yeah. And think about, think about how that would affect sports, right? Like race car drivers. Understanding where your foot is and how much pressure you're putting on the pedal and and when you well, switch from the gas to the brake and where the car is in the turn. There's all sorts of really I the, cool... I think the amazing thing is because we can now measure things. Um, we actually have this ability, like the sock can measure pressure, but if I'm in a race car and I'm holding the steering wheel, I can test the pressure on the steering wheel, the, the force of rotation, where as a driver, I'm now, it's not only just intuitive, quote, by the seat of your pants, it actually is a little bit more analytical about your behavior, your ability to turn. Um, so imagine you're going down a straightaway in a sports car and you have to do a hairpin bend. How quickly do you react? When do you hit the brake pedal? When do you, when do you down gear? When do you start to turn? All those things are infinitely measurable. So when you come back into the pits, 
we can now sit down with you and actually go into a display and it could be a 3D display even or it could be an augmented reality display where you look at it and say, well, look, this is your behavior. You actually were 3.2 seconds too late on this and 0.7 microseconds too early on that. As a driver, that could be a little annoying because somebody's actually really giving you data on your behavior. But the ability to get 1% more is amazing when you actually allow this to happen, whether that's in you know, just motor cars or, or football. Imagine player analytics and what you could do relative to player performance. Um, so you'd start to measure some physical things and biometrics, heart rate. Imagine if I could measure your heart rate when you're a football player. When you know, Imagine you're an American football player and you're an offensive guard and you're standing on the line. What does your heart rate do? Do you actually breathe when you're waiting for the snap? Um, what's your behavior there? But all the way to uh, your acceleration, your deceleration, your stop, your start time, the pressure that you get, or even some things where you get a hit in American football where somebody lands up hitting you hard and you fall and you have a you know, potential concussion. All of those things are measurable now that will really change. And I think it will change sports. I think it will be some sports, maybe like golf, which is, a, which is fairly technical, but suddenly goes a sort of a leap ahead. But we've seen some amazing data. We did, we've got this project with Real Madrid going for a while. They have phenomenal data about their players on a rainy pitch in the 47th minute and the ability to have an accurate pass. They've got this, and it's a basically sits, they've got a Power BI dashboard that sits behind it. They know phenomenal data, which, so imagine you're the coach and the manager and you're having to make decisions about tactically how to change, do you introduce a new player, how do you react to a situation. But not that you have data about yourself, you have data about the opposition when they're playing with you. I'm sure the opposition has their own, but it becomes way more scientific and I got this really interesting question. I was traveling around. I was in Europe, and I was doing a press interview, and somebody said to me, what? I've got two kids, he said. My kids are like 13 and 15. What should they be learning now and when they go to college so that they're useful in the work stream when they're 25, when they're 30, so in 10 or 15 years' time? And it's a lovely question because it actually evokes this whole thing about what are the skill sets going to be? What are people going to do? And I think, you know, when I thought about it, I, it caught me a little bit off guard because it's sort of predicting the future and what people are going to want. But I think the essence of it is about data. It's about people understanding data, how to manipulate data, how to understand a model. And, you know, you can go to some people and say, excuse me, could you just write up this data model and have no clue what you're talking about? But it's a matter of being able to construct a model that's a representation of the real world, this blur between the physical and the virtual, and being able to understand it, to systemically think about all the influences and the ability to communicate. Because if you can't communicate, it doesn't matter how much you know about the data or how deeply you can look at the machine learning algorithm. And so I think that's this wonderful relationship between deep thinking and data and the ability to communicate the insight that you're getting. And so that to me says that no matter who you are in 20, 30 years' time, whether you're doing pick and place on a production line, you're manufacturing an airplane, or you're an information worker looking at future sales, the skill sets are going to be kind of similar. There's going to be this real change of what people do. And so you and I are going to be out there, you know, sitting in Florida somewhere, you know, on a beach, and somebody else is going to be doing this really exciting stuff. Yeah. 
So one of the things that, that comes to mind when you talk about all of this is that we have all of this data now, and it, it seems like it's up to a person to gather that data, figure out what's important, and then make decisions based on that data. You and I had an interesting discussion before the show started today about uh, artificial intelligence and AI and where that's headed. What yeah. excites you about AI? So there's AI is the sense of the engines, the algorithms, and the models that operate on that information. So the first thing is, can you get the right set of information together? Can you actually aggregate the information? And the information is contextual. The more that you tell me about you, the better off I can be in terms of helping you. And I'm going to help you because I'm going to give you time back. I'm going to help assist you to do stuff. I'm going to assist you to buy things. I'm going to assist you to find information. In fact, I'm going to know where you're going maybe before you know where you're going. But in order to do that, I have to have your context. And there's sort of three contexts. There's your consumer context, what you do at home when you drive around, you play in a football team, you take your kids to ballet or something. There's your work context of who you collaborate with, who you work with. And then your professional context, which is who you actually link to in other places. The more that context gets assembled, the more valuable it can be. But we get into this very interesting uh, sort of area about privacy and about ethics which is how much I need to know about you and how much you want to tell me. Once you've got that context of me and my life, my personal life, my work life, my professional life, now the artificial intelligence engines can start to operate in, in incredibly interesting ways. You see that in very simple ways today that you don't even know about, which is, for example, the spell checker that exists today on any machine. It used to be a dictionary lookup. It used to be you type some word, it would run off and look in a dictionary and try and match it, but it couldn't really do proximity searches very well because it was just doing a spell check. Now, the spell checker actually knows you and your context. It knows what you're writing about, and it actually is having a guess at what your intent is. And the more it knows about you, the better the guess is in order to get there. And so it starts off simply there but it's going to grow dramatically to be able to recognize patterns, to change businesses. But it creates places where still people need to make choices. Here's an example. Let's say large company like Microsoft or anybody else, and we do lots of recruiting and lots of hiring all the time. I could build a database of people who've been successful at Microsoft, and I could then build a machine learning system that recognized the pattern. And then that machine learning system would look at all the candidates coming in and say, this one looks like they'll be successful. But what happens when you do that is you create an environment of everybody being the same. And in fact, one of the things we know from research is that a diverse environment of different opinions, of different styles, probably gives you a better result. So in some cases, you want the model. And in other cases, you want the anti-model. You want the exact opposite of what the model is telling you. And so I think that the world of artificial intelligence will become very dominant. Um, in the things we do and how we do it, but we still have to have human judgment about what's going to happen, does this make sense, and does this not make sense. The biggest change for individuals is the world we're in today is actually a world of exactness. If I want to know what's my sales in this city, I can go run that SQL query, show them, you know, select star from customers, where, blah, blah, blah. I get an answer of 942. The world of AI is a world of probability. I think that there's a 70% probability that you're going to be doing this. It means there's a 30% probability you won't. 
And then somebody has to make a judgment of whether that's a good thing to do or not. And it's that judgment that the more I know about your context, the more I can try and emulate your judgment. But it's still about imperfectness. It's about correlation and not exactness. And when that happens, that's going to change a lot of behaviors, a lot of what people do and how they react. Because today, you have statutory reporting that is exact. You have to report your taxes. You have to report sales. And that's always exact. But business decisions or personal decisions are generally made on a probability. Um, if I'm driving to the airport and I'm, am I late, am I going to make my plane or not? Is the traffic going to be there or not? And those are all probabilistic things that you know. Generally, on a Friday at 4 o'clock, the traffic's bad, so I need to leave early. That's an amalgam of probabilities. And in your head, you're saying, how risky am I? And it's one of the questions I typically ask lots of people is that if you have a flight that's at 4 o'clock on a Friday, when do you leave to get there? And you'll get a spectrum. You'll get people who say, I'm leaving at 3 o'clock because I know how to get there. I live, you know, I live in Savannah. It's a tiny airport. Or I'm in Seattle and the traffic's crazy and I need to leave two and a half hours. All of that is probabilistic analysis that's happening. And that's the same way that AI works is in that same domain. And so AI will... Repetitive tasks are easy. Probabilistic tasks, you get advice. It becomes more advisory. The AI is going to help you do stuff. That's cool. So we announced a couple of really cool new devices at, uh, at Build. Yep. Uh, we announced the new laptop, and we announced the new augmented reality headsets. Yep. But I think we're working with uh, Acer and HP, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I think there's some others yeah, that are coming, you, but yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about those? It seems like they use a lot of the technology that we pioneered with, with HoloLens as far as a, a augmented reality is concerned. Yeah, and so um, inside of Windows today, there's Windows Holographic and Windows 3D. Those are core elements of what are out there today. And when you put those together, it provides a platform to build different kinds of applications where you can imagine a world and operate on a world where either in 2D or 2.5D that you were looking at weren't really feasible. Um, so HoloLens was actually the first one. It really is a totally integrated standalone system that does mixed reality. You can get augmented, you can get virtual, and you actually look into the environment you see it. For people who haven't done it, you just have to put on a HoloLens one day. Just go find one somewhere and go put it on because the experience you know, it's, it's sort of discovering something new. You, you walk in, and I, I, I took one home one day and my wife, for a weekend and couldn't get my wife to actually put it on. I'm, Sunday evening, I said, look, you've just got to do this. Just, just do me a favor and do it. She's <laughs> kind of reluctant, so she puts it on. I said, okay, you see these things. And one of the demo apps, uh, you see a little storage box that has little characters in it. I said, you see the box? Yeah. I said, you see there's a ballerina? She says, yes. I said, okay. So reach out and pick the ballerina up and move it over here and then let go. She does that and I said, you can see it. Yes, the ballerina is there. I said, now turn and look at me. So I said, is the ballerina still there? Because you can't see it. She says, no, 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 I can't see it. I said, but you left it over there. It's not here. And she says, now turn slowly. And then she suddenly she sees this ballerina. Now she's taking, there's a pig and a cow and a bunch of other stuff and she's placing it around <laughs> the room. Because it's this different experience where suddenly you realize that you actually have these objects that you can place in space and they don't move. When you turn away, they don't move because they're locked in space. And so that experience is stunning for people to actually understand just what a different experience can look like. And there's been a couple of commentaries recently that 
this augmented reality, mixed reality world will be the future user experience. You won't type anymore. You'll end up talking to something, somebody who's listening to you that will create these images that float in front of you that are, some are real and some are virtual. And I think we're going to move there very quickly. And so the HoloLens device is actually a wonderful implementation of that, but it sort of sits at the high end. The question was, how could we actually bring that down and make it more accessible? And so these augmented reality sets that we've done is essentially a set of screens that you wear like a pair of goggles, but they have a camera on the outside. So the camera looks at the real world and brings that into the world that you're in. And so you get this mixed reality view that allows you to look at a scene and imagine what objects might look like in the scene. And so it's not this sort of projected holographic view, but it's close, but it's at one-tenth of the price. And so it actually is starting yeah. to make it much more accessible. Not only that, but we did some 3D controllers. I don't know if you saw those. There's some sort of gyroscopic yeah. controllers that allows you to operate in that 3D space. Um, again, it takes a little getting used to because you're holding these things, but when you move them, the scenery moves. And so you've, you've got to be, it's like driving a car. You know, when you turn, the car turns. And so it's the same notion of what you're doing. So when you take the controllers and the headset, which I think is like $300 or something like that, that gives yeah. you the opportunity to, to create completely different and new experiences. Um, and the more we see people experimenting with them along two dimensions, one is in the commercial space. And in the commercial space, we've seen a series of dedicated commercial applications being built with different companies that are really changing the way they imagine. But then also on the consumer side, I think we're going to see more and more on the consumer side. Uh, of people experiencing it in different ways. Um, 3D Minecraft is just stunning, which is when these blocks start exploding out in front of you. It's um, the notion of being able to work in a 3D space. And you know, we've, we've only imagined 2D communications forever, but it starts, there's some interesting things that flow from that, which was content creation, which was, if you think about Microsoft Office, it's a content creation tool. And it's about the assembly of words and pictures, but suddenly content can be 3D. Um, content can be video and audio. Content can be augmented. And so the, the ability for people to author well or author badly happens. And so the same way as you can write a really bad email, you can build a really bad 3D object. And so it does take a notion of design, a notion of greatness to be able to produce beautiful things. But when you have one, I don't know if you've tried one of these, the experience is just amazing when you actually play with them. I've got an Oculus Rift, so I've tried, you know, virtual reality. Yeah. I've actually worn a HoloLens once. Um, mm. I'm, I'm actually the technical account manager for NASA, and NASA has several at JPL. Correct. That yeah. I've uh, had uh, a chance to sit down with and play with, mm -hmm. and they are amazing. The, uh, the uh, and I don't know the answer, to this, and I'm not sure that the answer to this. Um, but uh, um, do you know if they communicate with each other? If I have two HoloLenses, can they communicate with each other? Because um, so it would be cool to place an object somewhere and then have somebody else wearing a HoloLens see mm -hmm. that object that I placed. Well, so yes, and it can be a virtual object. It doesn't have to be a physical object. So right. um, you can. I actually um, saw a demo recently where you have multiple people wearing headsets collaborating in a shared space. Um, yeah. That original JPL 
um, the Mars Navigator app, which um, there's yeah, videos on it. Yeah, that one allows you to insert yourself into the Martian scene, and then somebody, and you see their avatar there, walking around with you in Mars, pointing at rocks that don't exist and having a conversation about things that don't exist. Um, but it is, it's actually, um, and people remotely, because it doesn't matter where you are, if you actually have the same scene that you're imagining you're in, there's no reason why you cannot collaborate. And so we see things like um, in construction scenarios where um, I have the ability for somebody on the construction site to see something and then somebody remotely in an office actually interfere with the drawings and actually reshape some of the drawings on the site. Um, you can see a medical scenario like that. There's Disincrupt the Elevator Company has a great repair scenario that's kind of like that where you send a tech out to repair an elevator and there's somebody remotely who can actually see what they're seeing and can help them saying look at this and look at that and identify this piece and that part and adjust this and tweak that. That ability to share and collaborate in a virtual space is a place that we're going to go to very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I remember in the original, you know, that video that we did, the ad that right. we did, kind of, yeah. yeah. where the plumber is on a surface and circles yeah. a pipe. Yeah. 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 It, I remember it, that it, demo. It, it and gets, I think it's important. Go ahead. No, it, the scenarios get more sophisticated than that. The simple version is actually the plumber. And I think it was a dad telling his daughter how to change a washer or something in that original video, um, which is something that I've yeah. done. Um, but it actually can be very sophisticated in terms of the remote maintenance um, with jet engines and things like that, where you actually want to be able to consult with somebody who's an expert remotely, be, being able to send a technician out in order to get there. Um, this notion of shared context, which is what you're describing, actually becomes pretty important uh, in many, many, many commercial scenarios. Yeah. One thing that we should point out is that the HoloLens is essentially a computer that you're wearing on a, on your head. Oh yeah, it's and the a, new devices, the it's new an old devices are changed with the computer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the so the new the HoloLens is an all-in-one computer. It has Wi-Fi on it. It has storage. It has batteries. Uh, it has a display. Um, it has input. It has audio. Um, the audio. You mean we 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 don't talk enough about the audio, but it is this. 3D audio, because when you put on the HoloLens, there's sounds that appear around you. And so there's a lot of work about creating how you create a soundscape, not just a visual thing, but how you create an audio soundscape around you. And we've used that with people who are sight impaired to actually help them understand the things that are around them. So if you imagine you're sight impaired and you're walking down the street and there's a bench on the right-hand side, you could actually have a ping that comes out in front of you in a virtual audio space that says, hey, be careful, there's a bench. Um, and so it's not just about the visual part that's actually super important, but it's also this whole, so it is this wonderful self-contained all-in-one computer. So when you look at that and sort of the capability that's in there and the chips that are in there, it's pretty stunning. These, these others are um, augmented in the sense that they have to be plugged into something. There has to be another system that actually is generating some of the images to be able to get there. And that's the part of, sort of Windows Holographic and Windows 3D being able to provide the, the compute power behind that, that brings, it becomes a peripheral as opposed to a standalone. Yeah, I pre-ordered mine. I can't wait. <laughs> of course you <laughs> The first day. <laughs> did, did you play with the new uh, Surface laptop? I, you know, I did. Um, I, funny enough, I still have a Surface Pro 3. I use it when I travel and I travel a ton. 
it's yeah. pretty indestructible. So I, I'm waiting, but it, I can't. It still works. It's great. In fact, that's what I'm yeah. using here. Um, this laptop looks amazing. I mean, the design, uh, the you know, the sleekness of the design. Um, but for somebody who travels a lot, the 14 hours of battery life, that's actually way up here, the priority um, of being able to get there and being able to charge things and, and, and do that. Um, you know, battery technology is changing dramatically. You've got sort of quick charge on phones that allows you to charge your phone quickly. And so I think we're going to see, from a, just looking ahead a little bit, energy storage, both in terms of building energy and dispensing of energy, that's a big investment. You're seeing it obviously from the car companies because you see huge volume happening there. But imagine being able to take your phone and you're in an airport and your phone's you know, almost dead and you can plug it in and suddenly five minutes later you've got 80% charge. That would make your relationship to your phone quite different about how you used it. But more interestingly, when we actually change that and go to um, devices like IoT things, and actually if you imagine what happens in IoT where you've got a little remote device in a super low power location, what happens to that device, what kind of energy storage does it have? Because every time it communicates, your Wi-Fi is kind of costly in terms of energy. Every time it communicates, you're burning that battery. So the work around battery and communications is going to be one of the areas where I think we're going to see huge innovation and change very quickly. Some of it driven by the car industry, but some of it driven by the billions of IoT devices that are going to be out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as battery technology gets better and charging technology gets better, yeah. Yeah. battery life becomes not as big an issue as it used to be. Yeah. Um, Right. So right now, let's take the Tesla as an example, right? Uh -huh. There's a lot of people that love the Tesla technology, but there's also a lot of people that have ways to and from work and, and you know, that 200-mile limitation um, is kind of an issue in some cases. Um, and so being able to quick charge those types of vehicles and, and having, having batteries that, that uh, number one, understand the quick charge technology and, and can store that energy and do it more efficiently is, is real, uh, real important. But um, I think if you, if you layer on top of that, the AI contextual information that we talked about earlier, so the more that, I, that the agent can learn about you and your driving behavior, and assuming that it can communicate to the car and get insight into the status of the batteries in the car, et cetera, the, the agent could actually help you understand, you know what, it looks like, imagine a hybrid car. This, this, it actually makes it more fun if it's a hybrid. So imagine okay. that the hybrid knows that you drive to work every day and that you're driving 15 to 20 miles every day. Um, and the hybrid can see the state of your battery versus the state of your gas. And the agent can then help you to help the car decide when to switch to battery power and when to switch to gas power. Um, based on your behaviors, basically it knows, you know, every day you basically drive, uh, you drive home from work. I can look at your calendar. I can see you don't have anything on your calendar after work. So you're probably going to go straight home, although you might stop for milk on the way because you do that on Thursdays. And then it could actually tell the car, well, don't worry about recharging because you have enough to get home and then you can just recharge when you get home. So the notion of your context in AI starts to play very deeply into your life where there are decisions being made for you and sometimes advisory to you about your car, how much battery life you've got yet, should you recharge it, do you need to buy gas, that can really help you, but it's based on that contextual information that I have about you and your behavior. Yeah, that's really cool. 
So when will augmented reality make uh, theme parks obsolete? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a roller coaster kind of guy. There's nothing that's going to replace a roller coaster. When you get top of that hill and you come flying down, I don't think it's going to do that. I don't know. Augmented, augmented reality suits that can apply pressure in certain locations. And I don't know. It, it seems interesting to me. Well, but that, there's a little bit of that which is in the community aspect of it. Like, it's like, why do you go to movies and don't sit at home and watch TV? You go there to be part of something with some people and experience right. at the same time. And I think the same thing's on the roller coaster when you're holding tight and there's people yelling yeah. around you and got their hands up and stuff like that. That's part of the experience. And I think that's going to be complicated to replace. Yeah. But it certainly can augment that experience. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I, the reason I'm asking that question is because I, I can't remember which amusement park it was, but I saw uh, something about one of them using uh, virtual reality goggles on their roller coaster, and they could change the scenario that yeah. you're in on the roller coaster. So I really can imagine cool that. Yeah. I mean, Imagine Space Mountain where you're inside this dark place and you actually got a virtual headset on and it's projecting scenery to you as you change and there's no interference from the outside. I could imagine that. Yeah, and it could be personalized, right? Personalized it, to the rider. It could be. You when, you when you actually check into the ride, you actually go in and you say, I want to have this kind of ride. I want to I want to imagine I'm in a spaceship. I want to imagine I'm in a car. I want to imagine I'm in Russia. I'm in South America. You could pick your scenery and activity. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Norm, as always, this has been really a lot of fun. Yeah, it always is. Always is. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I love the uh, Tech Ready Memorial poster behind your shoulder. Yeah, you can kind of see it. It actually was taken from each one of those events. There's 24 little pictures of each one of the events we did. Uh, let, let's actually finish on this a little bit, which was sort of looking ahead about what's what are some of the things that are going to happen in the year, next year or so. And so... You've seen now the commoditization of these headsets. Um, you're starting to see devices change. Um, we're starting to see IoT becoming deeply embedded in industrial environments. Um, conversation we might have had a couple of years ago about cars and autonomous driving. You would have thought I'm crazy. Now we're actually seeing it to be real. And so the things are starting to move really, really, really quickly. And so I think as we look forward, it's going to be even more complicated to actually try and articulate what some of those changes might be. One of the things that I would look to is the experience that you have in communicating and collaborating. So on your phone today, if you're like me, you probably got somewhere between 100 and 150 apps. You probably use 20 of them a lot and some of them occasionally. But what does that look like in the future? And the way it looks like that's going to happen is you will actually work with an agent on your phone, maybe one or two agents, and a whole bunch of bots who are going to do things for you. So you're no longer actually going to talk directly to the airline, but you're going to talk to your agent that's going to talk to a bot from the airline. And so the nature of how you communicate to the devices and how you share is going to move really quickly. If you actually look at how bots are being developed and commercially available bots, I mean, we have lots of engagements with customers today building bots. Lightweight Q&A bots, but fairly complicated bots that in some cases will um, auto-generate and sort of curate content on a help system all the way through that spectrum. That's going to happen really quickly, I think. So one of the, the biggest things that we're going to see in the next couple of years is the pervasiveness of bots. But with that comes something really interesting is the personality of bots. 
well, how does your bot talk to you? You know, if you ask a bot to tell a joke, it tells you so much about that company. And it's one of the first things that people do. Hi, tell me a joke. And does the bot say, well, I'm sorry, I don't have any jokes. Well, that tells you something about the company if it's not very funny. If it tells you a bad joke, that actually might be quite funny. If it tells you a really good joke, that actually might be good. But if it tells you a kind of so-so, so there's these little indicators about behavior and the bot and AI that I think are going to change the world. The thing that's super important and I think you're going to see a ton of time being spent in the next couple of years is about the ethics and the ethical behavior of AI. And that's a topic for another time, but a lot of work thinking about what that looks like, how you set up principles of behavior, because you are getting into behavior and you are getting to systems starting to model people. And with that, there's always going to be a question of, should I do this thing or not? And we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, that'll be the next episode. <laughs> Great. All right, well, listen, thank you so much for doing this for us. I love listening to you talk about this stuff. Uh, in fact, I think the smartest thing I can do when we're doing these is just to shut up and listen. <laughs> it's always great. The questions drive it. There's so much to talk about. These are always fun. So thank you. Thanks for having me back, and congratulations on number 100. Thank you so much. And, folks, that's your Taste of Premiere. <laughs>